Okay, we are in Ecclesiastes 2. Last week, if you weren't here last week, please go back and listen. I don't say that often, and I certainly don't say that because of anything that, that is related to my ego or anything that I did last week. But I do think this is, there's a lot to understanding this book that I, I tried to share with you last week. And if you don't have that, I think you'll be a little bit handicapped for the rest of the sermon. And I just simply can't repeat it all each week. And so I would strongly encourage you to listen to, to last week's message if you haven't already done so. We're going to pick up in Ecclesiastes 2. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 3. I'm, uh, I might go a little further than that. I'm going to read 1 through 11, and then we'll stop and and. and reflect on a few things. We'll actually, uh, Lord willing, get through the whole chapter here today, but I'll have to move quickly. I said to myself, go ahead. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. <coughs> Ecclesiastes, as we're going to see here, it's a bit of a case study. It's a case study of a man who wants to know what in the world life is supposed to be about. What is it in this life that could actually bring satisfaction? And so he's, he's telling us about some of his pursuits, the way he went about finding meaning in this life. This word futile, which comes up again and again, is actually a, a translation of a Hebrew word called hevel. Hevel is, is, is a deep and a rich word that's sort of difficult to translate. Some, some translations translate it meaningless, but it's not necessarily meaningless. It's more the idea of, well, I think futility is a great translation because it's things that, that perhaps have meaning for a while, perhaps give some hint of satisfaction, but in the end, they don't last they don't satisfy in the way that our hearts desire. He uses the idea of, of <coughs> excuse me, of grasping at smoke. That's the concept of hevel. hevel. Hevel is the frustration of a life lived that just never quite fulfills in the way that our hearts long for. He says in verse 4, and this is how he went about looking for satisfaction, I increased my achievements I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself. And the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself. And many concubines. The delights of men. So I became great. And surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desire I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. For I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered that I, had, what I had, that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. 
much like last week, I want to allow you to feel the weight of that. Here's a guy who had it all. Everything that man longs to achieve, a success, he had possessions, he had people who waited on him. There was no pleasure being denied him. He could, he could indulge in anything that this world has to offer. This is one of the things that lead many people to believe this was perhaps King Solomon. King Solomon's really the only king described to us in the Old Testament that had this sort of success. And his emphasis on the wisdom that he had gained, which is what Solomon was known for. He was known for wisdom. He was known for, for material, great material possessions, for concubines. Yet the Bible doesn't tell us specifically that this was Solomon. He says there was nothing to be gained under the sun. What do you mean there was nothing to be gained under the sun? Look at all he gained. He gained palaces. He gained gardens and, 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 and lush vegetation and everything that delights the hearts of men. He had it. I found everything to be futile. A pursuit of the wind. How frustrating that must be to put yourself out there and to go after this and to attain such great wealth and wisdom and to look at it and go, what do I have here? What do I have here? Nothing. I'm chasing after the wind. And he looks and he says, there's nothing to be gained here under the sun. He uses this phrase, under heaven or under the sun, several times throughout the book. He never quite unpacks what, exactly what he means by that. But it, it, it seems to be as we go through the book and, and look at how he uses that phrase, that that's his way of describing all that we can see and do and, and, and put our hands on here on earth. In, in, in the author's world, there's God, and, and he references God many times, but he seems to be fixated on the non-spiritual realm. He seems to be fixated on the natural, just like most of us most of the time. We think a lot about what there is to be gained here under the sun. How do, we, how do we save up enough money? How do we get the house that we want or the, the job that we want? All of this life under the sun, everything that can be grasped by mankind, he says there's nothing to be gained there. On your handout, it says this, the first, the first set of fill in the blanks. We were created to want something more from this life. We were created to want something more from this life. That's one of the facts of life that Ecclesiastes reminds us of. That's something you need, you need to know that you are not alone in that. Because I guarantee you, you have felt that. At different points in our lives, it, it hits us that if this is all there is, if this is all I have to look forward to, there's just not enough here. It's never going to be satisfying enough. We were created that way. We were created to want something more from this life. You know, ambition and the desire to succeed, the desire to accumulate something in life, it's not necessarily bad. I think God created us that way. That's the kind of, God himself is seeking to gain from this world. God himself wants something to come of all of this. And we're created in his image 
We are created to want something. We were created with these desires. God wants to share. He, he's seeking children to share his glory with. He's seeking people to, to, to share in his eternal inheritance. He wants something from this life. Why shouldn't we? That's how he created us. He created you to want something more. You're not supposed to be satisfied with life here under the sun. That frustrated the author. He couldn't get his head around that. We're going to see how frustrated he gets as we go on through chapter 2. But the problem that he runs into, that we often run into also, and the next thing on your handout, is that the things we pursue don't always satisfy in that way. The problem isn't the desire The problem is how we go about meeting the desire. The problem isn't that we want something. The answer is not to just be satisfied. The answer is not to just say, well, I guess this is it. You live here for a few years. You have a little bit of pleasure if things go well. Probably some things won't go so well. and You're just supposed to be okay with that. That's not the answer. But that's where we end up. That's what we settle for. Because We think that the things that we're pursuing here are supposed to be what satisfy us. But that's not where satisfaction comes from. He goes on in verse 10 to say, All that my eyes desire, I did not deny them. Most of us never have that opportunity. Most of us never come in to such fortune that we could could pursue anything that our eyes desire. Most of us are slaves to the nine to five, just trying to pay the bills and trying to get by and trying to save up enough for a vacation every now and then. Not not our case study here. He had it all. He didn't deny himself anything. He said, I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered that all I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Then he considers wisdom. The next thing on the handout, to be wise is better than to be a fool. He comes to that conclusion. He doesn't throw away wisdom. He doesn't say wisdom is of no value. But it's still futile. It's still heavy. It still isn't quite, it doesn't quite do what we want it to do because both still die. To be wise is to be better, is better than to be a fool, but both still die. Verse 12, he says, Then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the king's successors be like? He's, he's wrestling with his own mortality. He's thinking, you know what, I'm not going to be here to maintain all of this forever. I've built some pretty nice things, but at some point I've got to let go and somebody else is going to take over. What's he going to be like? He will do what has already been done. And I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly. Hear that, that's one of the lessons that comes up again and again in Ecclesiastes. There is an advantage to wisdom. The wise person has, has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet, yet, I also know that one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this is also futile. 
For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, since in the days to come both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies just like the fool? Therefore, I hated life. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for everything is futile in a pursuit of the wind. I hated life. After everything he had gained, he, he looked around and he hated it. He couldn't live with it because the work that was done under the sun, again, he's, he's fixated on this realm in which he can manipulate things and accomplish things. It was distressing to me for everything is futile in a pursuit of the wind. And what's worse, he says in verse 18, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. Who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This, too, is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there's a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it. This, too, is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all his work and all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief. His occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is futile. He's not in a good place. <laughs> and yet there's wisdom here. Yeah, I think our, our natural reaction, for most of us, maybe depending on your disposition. My disposition, uh, uh, um, I don't know, my, I guess my disposition fluctuates at times. But, but most of us are like, that's a little too cynical, right? It's not that bad. Well, I want you to hear one thing. For him it was. And he was considered to be the wisest man of his time. And in his wisdom, he surveyed his life and he surveyed everything that could possibly be accomplished here on our earth, here under the sun. He said, it's all few, hevel. It won't, it won't do. It's not enough. It can't satisfy. I, I work and I labor and I toil and I do great things and I... I make the stuff around me better. He was doing what he was supposed to do with his life. He was improving his realm. He was building things. He was planting things and growing things. He was employing people. He was gaining wealth. He said, I got to hand this over to somebody else. Who knows what they're going to be like? Probably a fool. <laughs> he's, like a, he's like a man who spent his whole life building a business so that he could pass it on to his kids. And he worked hard and he said, I'm gonna, pay the, I'm gonna pay the price so they don't have to. I'm gonna sacrifice. I'll give my health, I'll give my body, I'll give my time. I'll build something so that they have something that I didn't have. And they grow up and they say, Dad, we don't even want that. Dad, I'm not gonna go that direction in my life. Or a man who, who attains wealth, he saves his whole life. He never had anything growing up, and he doesn't, he doesn't want his kids to have to worry. So he works hard. He works overtime. He fills up his bank account so that he has something to pass on to his children. 
and they take it and they squander it. They spend it in foolish ways that he never will. This is what he's saying. He's saying, I don't know. I, I, all of this could be gone in a generation. Everything I worked for, everything I labored, it's so futile. I hated my life. I hated my work. I was given over to despair. What more can I do to ensure that something I did here counts? That something I did here will last? That will satisfy? Of course, it comes back to his main point. His main point here and throughout the whole book, the next thing on your hand is that life on earth does not fully satisfy the human heart. The end of the chapter, verse 24, he says, There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. And this is, this is a controversial phrase. It comes up a couple of times in the book. And there are times when he seems to be commending that. Eat, drink, and be merry is the way it's often translated. Here it says, eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I don't think he's commending it here. I think he's frustrated here. I think he's saying that's, a, that's as good as it's going to get. I have seen that even, even this is from God's hand. Here he, he, he brings God into his vision for life here. Because who can eat and enjoy life apart from him? That's true. For to the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. That's his conclusion. Futility. It's futile. It's heavy. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vapor that we can't grasp. That is life. That's life under the sun. And what I want to suggest here is that if we live our lives with that same mentality, we'll come to the same conclusion. If we allow ourselves to think only of what is here and now and in front of us, it is all futility. Perhaps he's a little extreme in how he states it, but I think we can all agree to what he's saying here. There's a lot of truth to this, isn't there? There's a lot of reality here, hard reality. These things don't last. You don't, you don't know what your kids are going to do with that money you leave them. You don't know what the person who replaces you at work. You're so proud of everything you've accomplished at work, and then somebody comes in and they replace you, and they undo it all. It's futile. It's despairing. It's a hard pill to swallow. Apart from Jesus. And I said last week, one of the things I want to do is I want to try to stay. I don't want to hurry out of Ecclesiastes. And I had to sort of abbreviate the sermon today, so we're going to move a little quicker to this. But I don't want to hurry out of Ecclesiastes. I want, I want you to feel that enough. I hope this week you'll think about that. I hope this week you'll think about the things that you do and not be overcome by despair. But have a good dose of reality. Put things into perspective a little bit. But moving on from that, we see that Jesus broadens our view and tells us how to be satisfied. 
Jesus gives us the answer to the dilemma presented here in Ecclesiastes because Jesus does not call us to live life under the sun. He calls us to live life in light of eternity. He calls us to live a life that goes far beyond what you and I do here on earth for just a few years. He calls us to live a life of eternal significance, to participate in work that will not only last for your lifetime, that will not only last 50 years after you've been gone, will not only last for 50,000 years after you've gone, but will last for all of eternity. That's what he calls us to. That's what he invites us to. He broadens our view and tells us how to be satisfied. Let me show you one place where he does this. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Very familiar passage. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's what we do when we live with this life under the sun mentality. That's what the author of Ecclesiastes did. He was, he was looking for his treasure on earth. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus invites us to invest our lives into an eternal kingdom. He invites us to invest our time and our talents and our treasure into that which does satisfy. He invites us to invest into that which will last for all of eternity. You know, I talked briefly earlier about our habit of tithing and, and giving to support some missionaries and stuff like that. And, and, and you know, I, hope I, don't, I hope I don't sound like I'm, like I'm boasting of that or anything like that. There's nothing to boast of uh, about our giving. But one of the things I've noticed over the years, you know, Jesus' word always proves true. And I already mentioned how when you give to those things, that's where your heart's at. I care about, I care about where, where that money's being invested. Your heart follows your dollars. That's just a reality. I know this because I bought, I bought stock when I was in my early 20s. I wanted to get into investing. I was just trying to explore, like, what the heck are you supposed to do? I had, you know, like, what do you do? I had an extra 100 bucks. What do you do with, with money? And so I got into, like, investing a little bit, very, very briefly, because I didn't, I didn't like buying individual stocks. Um, now I invest in, in mutual funds. But I bought stock in Krispy Kreme Donuts for two reasons. One, I did a little bit of research, and it was, a, at the time, a very good company to invest in. For two, those things are dope. I mean, like Krispy Kreme donuts, who doesn't want to invest in that? And, uh, you know, I haven't really, I threw like 100 bucks in it, okay? And I haven't really, I don't keep up with it all the time. But I went back and looked the other day because I was thinking about it, you know? But for the, I don't, that's like 15 years ago. Krispy Kreme donuts have remained a part of my heart, not just because of their delicious nature over the last 15 years, but because I'm invested. It's true. Like, you do that. Like, invest a little bit of money in something. You'll care about it. You'll think about it. You'll want to know how it's doing. You might even get involved and help. I mean, I'm doing, are you guys doing your part? Are you buying enough Krispy Kreme donuts? I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to carry the weight here. Where you, it's because Jesus was right. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And one of the things I love about giving to the church is like I pay car payments. You know what happens in my cars? They break down, they rust. Moth and rust destroy, to use Jesus' words. 
Like you can put money in those, and that's a necessary part of life. You have to buy vehicles, and at least in our culture. I, I make house payments. I, I spend money on a lot of things each week. I buy food, you know, and you know what happens to that. It's not pretty. Um, but you spend, you're going to spend money on a lot of things that are necessary, that are commendable and good. Be responsible. Do all those things responsibly. I think that's what Christians should do, okay? When you're, when you're dead and gone, none of that will matter. I don't, I'm not, what I'm about to say is not a fundraising effort. I'm not trying to influence what you do. I'm trying to influence how you think. Every penny you ever give to God's kingdom, you'll get a return on that for eternity. That's amazing. Like, that just blows my mind. Like, that, that money's not being wasted. That's, I'm investing in something that's literally eternal, that cannot be destroyed. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. It's not going anywhere. It's going to produce fruit for all of eternity. That is unbelievable. That's so far from the despair of investing your life in life here under the sun. That's so far from the frustration of thinking everything I've worked for and everything I've given myself to is, in the end, where did it get me and what's it going to be worth 100 years from now? This is the best, when we invest in eternity, I'm not just talking about money now, let's move on from that because I don't want you to think this is a fundraiser attempt here. When we invest in his kingdom, time, talent, or treasure, that lasts forever. That lasts forever. So how much of your life are you investing in forever? How much of your, life, of your life are you giving to things that will satisfy ultimately? Things that will last forever. Jesus invites us out of this dis- despairing cycle of the world, of the way everybody lives, of the way everybody thinks, the way everybody operates. He says, join my kingdom. It's going to last for eternity. And it's going to be so much better than anything you could build here. It's going to be so much so that we really ought to think about sacrificing things here and now to have more there. To accomplish more of what will last for eternity. And I agree, there's, I mean, there's, there's just certain realities of life. We have, to, we have to maintain a lot of things in life. And it's important to take time for things that won't necessarily last for all of eternity, but still are important, you know. I mean, your kid's soccer team probably won't be a real big deal in heaven. <laughs> but your relationship with them is going to matter. And so that's important, too. I'm not saying abandon everything that, that doesn't appear to have immediate eternal value. I'm saying we spend a lot of our lives on things that just aren't going to last. We spend a lot of our time. We give a lot of our, of our ability. We give a lot of our money to things that in a few short years, nobody's going to care. Like nobody. And Jesus says, I want to invite you to be a part of my kingdom. C.S. Lewis said something that's really profound. I wish, I wish he had been around to speak, sit down with the author of Ecclesiastes. 
He said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. That's 100% true all the time. Set your heart on heaven. And suddenly earth might even become a little bit more enjoyable. Maybe, there's no promises. Sometimes life on earth is just rough even for believers. But set your heart on heaven. And then all of a sudden things of earth become a little bit sweeter at times. You know, a simple meal, this whole idea of eat, drink, and be merry, I think there, there, is, there is a, Christians ought to apply that a little bit. We ought, to, we ought to just enjoy some of the things that God gives us here on earth. But only when our hearts are set on heaven. When we put our hearts on, on things here on earth, they just don't satisfy. They can't. They weren't built to. And you weren't built to be satisfied by them. 